I ask you to turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy, Paul's first letter to Timothy. We're in chapter 5. For those of you visiting with us, we have been in a series and will continue to be in a series from Paul's first letter to Timothy. And we're currently in chapter 5. And our verses this morning are 24 and 25. I'll remind us that part of this section of scripture was covered last week. We're revisiting these two verses. Also might mention, because of some adjustments I made, if you're someone who follows the outline, you might want to just put that aside for a little while and uh, bear with me. And do read the blurb in there, and I do have children's questions for us. But the outline might not make much sense. Children, here are your questions for this morning. Is anything hidden from God? Two, what is sin? Three, are all sins forgiven for those who believe in Jesus? Four, why do we need to still confess our sins to God? And five, when Christians love the Lord and keep his commandments, do people notice? First Timothy chapter five, going to begin reading for context sake. In verse 21. And we'll read down to the end of the chapter. This is the word of God. In the presence of God. And of Christ Jesus. And of the elect angels. I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging. Doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment. But the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are are not, cannot remain hidden. And let me read our verses again. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment. But the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not, cannot remain hidden. There ends a reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we do thank you for your word, and we thank you that you've given us the truth that we need to know all that we need to know about you and all that we need to know about what it means to live for you, all that we need for faith and for life. And we pray that you would minister to us through the preaching of your word, through this passage. We ask that you would touch our hearts and transform our lives. But we know that doesn't simply come from reading your word or even preaching your word. We pray then 
that the Holy Spirit would come and visit in a special way as your word is read again and preached. Lord, minister to us, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. The fuller context of our passage is, in fact, to discern sin in other people, which is a lot easier to do sometimes than discerning sin in ourselves. Remember, Paul is telling Timothy that he needs to be careful and the leaders need to be careful about who they ordain as their leaders. And so if there's notorious sin, they should be overlooked. If there's indwelling sin that becomes prevalent, it needs to be dealt with and that the people in the congregation, if they have charges against a particular leader, follow the right, right recourse in order to deal with those things. But as is often the case in, in the broader context of a passage, and this one having to do with the leadership of the church, we also find that there is a very broad application to every, every believer. So specifically, I'm sorry, to leadership, but the broader application is to everyone. And so these verses about sin need to have a bearing on all of us, on all of us. Paul explains that not all sin can be known, not all sin can be corrected, but the known must be dealt with. And so again, in the church, sin needs to be dealt with. But this morning, I want us to recognize that sin needs to be dealt with in us individually. Now, before we start to look at everybody else, which does have its appropriate place, we need to examine ourselves. Last week, after the sermon, someone said to me, that was a very sad sermon. I hope they didn't mean the quality of the sermon, but a very sad sermon. Because it had to do with sin, and it had to do with a direction that many people, even leaders in the church, can go. And it is a sad sermon. If you were to think about the saddest thing you could think about, it would probably be death, if not death itself, the process of death. But attached to that very intimately is the issue of sin. And so when we think about sin, there should always be some level of sorrow. Now in our passage, there's also the very positive side. If you look closely, you'll see that it talks first about the sins of others, but then it talks about good works. Unfortunately, as often happens to me, I bit off more than I can chew. It happens more often with topical sermons, so... Today is also probably going to be a sad sermon because I'm going to have to save the good works part until next time. But people, there is hard evidence that even for Christians forgiven of their sins, that sin remains. That sin remains, that, that our words and our actions and our attitudes betray the presence of indwelling sin. And the first thing that we need to keep in mind is that God is very much aware of that. That's why I began back in verse 21, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules, etc. But we need to be constantly aware that we live and move and have our being in the presence of a holy God. And Jesus Christ, who redeemed the souls of believers, is very much aware of the way that we are acting, the way that we're thinking, the way that we're conducting our lives. Even the angels are observing us. That, that in some ways for a believer is a great comfort, but if we're not willing to repent of our sins, it's somewhat discomforting to know. 
But God sees all things and knows all things. One of my children, one of my seven children, once said to me, gave me some insight into conversations that took place among them, said, we often say to ourselves, Dad knows things. We don't know how he knows things, talking about things that they were doing. We don't know how he knows things, but he knows things. I'm not going to divulge my secret on how I know those things, but there are things that I do know. There are things that I don't know. There are things that I probably don't want to know. The fact of the matter is, our Father God is not like that. God does know all things. Everything in our life is crystal clear in his sight. We need to keep that in mind. Just a couple of verses, Galatians 6, 7, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. There is a return on our behavior. Sin has consequences, good works have blessings. Ecclesiastes 12, 14, God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Luke 8, 17, Jesus, nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. This morning, I'm going to primarily address sins of Christians. The sins of people who are genuinely converted, who are trusting in the righteousness of Jesus Christ as they're only standing before a holy God. And I trust that that is the bulk of who is here this morning. I will say this, that if you haven't trusted Christ to cover your sins, then, then dealing with ongoing sin in your life really isn't going to accomplish a whole lot of anything because you've still got that whole issue of rebellion against God to deal with. The good news for you is that if you repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, he will forgive your sins and save your soul. The fact of the matter is, even those whose souls have been saved, there's the issue of sin. Now, be sure that sin no longer has dominion over us. We've been set free in Christ, so there's, sin has no longer dominion over us. But we all have to admit that the struggle with sin is real in our lives. The struggle of sin is real in our lives. I want to read to you something that I believe describes my experience, but I also believe it describes your experience. It certainly described Paul's experience with indwelling sin. I'd say if you can't relate to these things, then something is missing in your conscience and in your life before the Lord. Turn with me to Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 15. Ask yourself if you can relate to this. I might be so bold to say that this describes you, but I'm first going to say it describes me. I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right. 
but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see my members and my members another law waging war, the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. Can you relate to that anxiety over indwelling sin? But then, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God, there is deliverance. There's deliverance from that original sin that was our rebellion against God, and there's deliverance from that indwelling sin, but it takes time and it takes sanctification, and it's a struggle that we're all in right now. Sin is not a very popular topic to talk about. In fact, by the time I'm done with this sermon, you will probably be sick and tired of the word sin. May it be that we're more sick and tired of sin and indwelling sin. It's always a good reminder in light of this struggle that that repentance is not just to be saved, but it's a part of the regular course of our life. It's very important for us to keep the biblical view of sin in mind. Biblical view of sin is very unpopular, especially the more a community, a society, a culture plunges itself into depravity. We're living in days, and we've seen days before, and they've been days throughout history, we're seeing in our own country, where that which is evil is called good, and that which is good is called evil. Insert that word sin there, even though the worldly-minded don't like to use that word a whole lot, they're willing to use the word evil, and they're calling those who would pursue righteousness evil and those who are exercising and delighting in sin good, and those things that are, that are evil good. So we need to have a biblical definition of sin. And I'm going to rely on our catechisms and our confession for some of that just because it's such a big topic and I trust that our catechisms and confession are designed to reflect the truth of Scripture. And so rather than referring to the many places between Genesis and Revelation that I could to describe and define sin and give example after example, I'll refer to our Westminster Shorter Catechism and in a little while our Confession of Faith. The simple question is asked, what is sin? What is sin? Sin is every is any want of conformity to or transgression of the law of God. That's question 14, question 18. The sinful the question is what is the sinfulness of sin, in other words. The sinfulness of that estate into which man fell consists of the guilt of Adam's first sin, 
the lack of original righteousness, the corruption of his whole nature, which is commonly called original sin, together with actual transgressions which proceed from it. Question 84, what does every sin deserve? Every sin deserves God's wrath and curse, both in this life and that which is to come. Sin needs to be taken seriously. Before we sweat beads of terror, we need to remind ourselves that there is forgiveness of sins under the chapter on repentance, chapter 15 in the Confession. As there is no sin so small, but it deserves damnation, so there is no sin so great that it can bring damnation upon those who truly repent. In other words, for those who truly repent, sin is truly forgiven. And so we rely on the righteousness of Christ for the forgiveness of our sin, but we keep coming back to that issue of indwelling sin, those actual transgressions. If original sin is forgiven in Christ, we still deal with those actual transgressions against the Lord. All sin is first and foremost against God. We deal with these indwelling sins. What about this corrupted nature? Back to the confession. Chapter on the fall. This corruption of of nature during this life remains in those that are regenerated, although it is pardoned through Christ and mortified, yet both itself and all the motions of it are truly and properly sin. And so when we recognize that we've fallen short of what God has commanded for us, we need to confess it as sin. Call it what it is. Now, remember that sin, as David says in Psalm 51, is first and foremost against God. So much so that he says, against you and against you alone have I sinned. Keep that in mind first, but we sin against others as well. Even in that context, David surely, surely sinned against Uriah by stealing his wife, Bathsheba. David surely sinned against his own family that would reap the horrors of his sin for the rest of their existence. David surely sinned against the people of Israel, the church of God. But he knew that first and foremost his sin was against God. Sin has many parts, many descriptions. I'm going to throw a lot out there, but We need to recognize that the ones we're most familiar with are sins of commission, the things that we do that are clearly sin that God has told us not to do. Those are the ones that we put our finger on most easily. But then there are the sins of omission, the things that we don't do that God commands us to do. And I have to say, when we start to look at what love is and all the different things that come under the category of loving God and loving neighbor, 
we fall woefully short of the things that we're commanded to do. So there are sins of commission and sins of omission. There are sins of thought, sins of words, sins of deeds. The Bible even makes a place for unintentional sins, that, that thing we live in all the time. Everything we're doing tainted to some degree with sin. Secret sins, the sins that we keep to ourselves that, that maybe we do only need to disclose to God and wrestle with him over. Presumptuous sins, somehow so hyenas when we presume upon God's grace that we're going to do something, but after all, God's going to forgive us. God's going to forgive me so I can still do it and get away with it. Presumptuous sins. Respectable sins? What an odd term. Jerry Bridges has a wonderful book that I think every Christian should read called Respectable Sins. Let me just throw out some of the ones that he puts in that category. Things that we might not immediately think of. General ungodliness, anxiety, frustration, discontent, unthankfulness, pride, selfishness, lack of self-control, Injustice, irritability, anger, judgment, envy, gossip. Somehow we, we, we reformulate those kinds of sins and, and package them so that somehow they become more respectable. Whole realm of interpersonal sins when we sin against each other. There are public sins that are out, out in the open for all to see. Scripture even talks about the unforgivable sin with stark warnings. And so, we need to contend with sin. It's all known by God. It's all known by God. And, and in some way, somehow, at some point, if not now, in time, our sins will find us out. They will find us out. No one gets away with anything. And sometimes that will happen in this life. I'm, I'm often amazed in my own experience and my experience in observing others how so often sin, through God's providential work, rises to the surface where it's found out publicly and needs to be dealt with. But you see examples of that in Scripture. There was a man named Achan who probably thought that he was doing something wonderful for his family when he took riches from a country that Israel was to sack and hid it under his tent because he just couldn't resist. But his sins found him out, and he and his family not only ended up under a pile of stones, but were burned. The remains were burned. There was a man named David who thought that he was very clever when he took Bathsheba to be his own. And when he had Bathsheba's righteous husband set up basically for assassination. He thought he was getting away with it. 
In reality, his body, his life, his soul was pining away and aching under the burden of sin. He wasn't getting away with anything, but he was trying, trying to hold on to this image, making Bathsheba an honest woman, making himself an honorable king, when all along he was living a wretched life in the presence of God. And it wasn't until God sent the prophet Nathan to him that he was exposed but then he repented and was forgiven. There was a couple named Ananias and Sapphira who thought that they could deceive the apostles by telling them that they gave everything they had sold to the church. But lo and behold, they were lying to the Holy Spirit, God, and Ananias dropped dead and not long after, Sapphira dropped dead. Our sin will be found out and sometimes clearly discovered in this life. We may think, people, that we are living private lives, but we're not. We're not. God sees all things, Jesus sees all things, the angels see all things, and the people around us see us. And as Paul says, some sins are conspicuous, easy to point our fingers to, our fingers at. But we are so surrounded and indwelt with indwelling sin that the first thing to do is deal with ourselves. We cannot be satisfied with indwelling sin. Confession of Faith 16, Section 5, men ought not to content themselves with a general repentance, but it is every man's duty to endeavor to repent of his particular sins, particularly. According to Scripture, the best thing to do with sin is to repent, to confess and to repent. Dealing with that nature that's still tainted with sin. Discerning indwelling sin in us by being in the word and being in prayer and having the Holy Spirit work in our hearts. I can guarantee that if you're not in God's word and you're not in prayer and you're resisting the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, you're going to be blind and increasingly blinded to your sin. And hopefully not hardened to it. And hopefully not searing your heart against conviction of sin. And so it behooves us all to address the sin that is still in our lives. 1 John chapter 1. Verses 8 to 10 reads like this. If we say we have no sin, and I trust none of you are sitting there this morning saying, I have no sin. I have no sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar 
and his word is not in us. We need to deal with the sin in our life. Are you overwhelmed yet? I am. We're overwhelmed with the indwelling presence of sin in our lives. It's so important to keep coming back to Christ. And remember before the throne of God, our sins are forgiven. We're covered by the righteousness of Christ. But we also need to keep in mind that in this life, in this journey, we're being made like Christ. We all need to recognize that that is quite a process for the likes of us. Well, for today, I want to say this. Sometimes pastors are, are so weird. They, they think to themselves, what if this was my last sermon? What if this was my last opportunity to preach? It would be very sad if all we preached about was sin. Not only would it be sad, it would be, I believe, an offense to God because Jesus came to forgive sinners. Jesus came to forgive sinners. And again, I want to say to any of you who are still resisting repentance, you've still not bowed to Jesus Christ, if you've still not pled to God to forgive you of your sins through the cleansing blood of Jesus, that, that is what I need to say to you. You will answer for every single one of your sins, your rebellion against God, and every single sin you've ever committed in mind, thought, or deed. For the people of Christ, I want to say this. The authority of God's word says this to us. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And you are now privileged, having been taken out of condemnation, to glorify God with your life and to put off the things of the flesh and to put on the things of the Spirit and to glorify and enjoy Him. But I do want to say that if any of you, any of us, are hiding sin, living in sin, loving sin. Know that God will deal with that. You say, well, there's no condemnation. I'm not under his wrath anymore. That is true. God will deal with your sin because he loves you. Because he loves you. And he is making you like his son. With the apostle I say this, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And by way of benediction, 
which I often use this benediction. I want these words to sink in and I could use any of the many benedictions. But these words. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord our God, we thank you so much for the forgiveness of sin. We would have absolutely no hope were it not for your mercy in forgiving us of our sins. And Lord, each one of us has to recognize before you that we still deal with indwelling sin, even though we solidly, firmly, unashamedly claim Jesus' blood and righteousness as our righteousness before your throne. As we journey through this life, we will deal with our sin until we step into your presence when we will sin no more. In the meantime, Lord, help us to be your people who love the things that you love and pursue the things that you love with vigor and that we hate the things that you hate. We pray that you would help us to start with our own selves. Sanctify us, we pray, by your spirit. Sanctify us by your word. Your word is truth. Amen. The closing hymn is hymn number 521, 521. My hope is built on nothing less. And we'll please stand when we sing.